financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, two partners, one a self-described enigmatologist and the other a former Green Beret and Hollywood actor, discuss their quest to find Bigfoot. I looked into a report where a group of air patrolmen and at base all they heard was a, was a gunfire. Well, when they got to the location to investigate what had happened, the patrol truck was turned over. All the rifles had been broken in two. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Well, fall has arrived here in Thornhill. It's cool and crisp, and I love it. I had to put a few extra blankets on the beds, pull out the fall pullovers, and we've even started the fireplace a few nights. Canadian Thanksgiving just around the corner, although for obvious reasons, 
it won't be a typical Thanksgiving. Now, before I forget, I hope you can listen to Coast to Coast AM this coming Saturday night, October the 3rd, when I'll be guest hosting. Go to coasttocoastam.com for more information and to find an affiliate near you. Now, we're in the midst of having our house painted, so things are pretty noisy around here for the next few days. So, once again, I've dug deep into my audio archives. Now, here's an interview with two very interesting gentlemen from about eight or nine years ago. I met them in L.A. while filming an episode for my TV show. Peter Gatilla is a writer and researcher whose childhood encounters with the paranormal would become the driving force behind his future work. As a young adult in the 60s, Peter began his research into the unexplained, and by the end of the decade, he'd accumulated hundreds of sighting reports and had personally investigated numerous claims for contact with paranormal phenomena. Tom Musilla is a former Green Beret. He's a fifth-degree black belt in karate. He's also an expert in professional bodyguarding and has specialized in celebrity protection through the years. He's protected hundreds of the most famous celebrities in the world, including Warren Beatty, Steven Seagal, Bruce Willis, and Sharon Stone. He's even protected presidents such as Clinton and Reagan. Tom also works in the film industry as a stunt coordinator, stunt performer, and fight coordinator. He's appeared in such films as Under Siege, Above the Law, and Hard to Kill. And like Peter Gatilla, Tom is fascinated by Bigfoot, and from time to time, together they go into the field in an attempt to study this elusive creature. Peter and Tom, either of you jump in here at any moment, but how did you two get together and start tracking Bigfoot together? Well... Uh, I'll head that one off. Uh, you know, when I was in college, uh, there was a professor, Richard Spurney, who was a theologist, and uh, this was back in the early 70s when a lot of people thought uh, ESP and psychic abilities were more associated with just the occult, and certain people were just uh, just gifted with that. But he was a unique individual and really understood that we all have this innate ability and we can just practice it and uh, enhance it like we could anything else. So he put together these five-person teams uh, through a couple of years, and uh, we experimented doing readings for uh, doctors, psychologists, a missing person, police department, all different kinds of things. And then uh, Peter heard about the work that uh, Richard Spurney was doing, and uh, even though he was well-trained in uh, intuition, ESP, they both connected, and they... Peter tried to uh, actually integrate it using groups, you know, sensitive groups to find out some insight to Bigfoot and UFOs. And uh, I was always uh, loved the outdoors and uh, mountain climbing and everything. And I thought, this God, this would be a, a great challenge and uh, make it interesting. You know? And and uh, and Peter, how did you um, how did you get connected with Tom? I mean, I know it's it's. it's uh, it's the same well, story, he, he but it kind of dropped out of the sky on my head. Actually. <laughs> yeah, we, well, yeah, basically that's the story. I mean, Tom turned out to be one of the best psychics I've ever known, and I've known a lot of them, you know, over the years. And we got together and started talking about these things. And he was fascinated by my work, which had preceded my contact with Professor Sperney by about ten or twelve years. And so we joined forces. I mean, I said, listen, man, Tom could find literally a needle in a haystack. And, but we go back a long way. And it's, uh, it's the kind of thing that just sort of grows on you, you know. I guess what and I was I asking. Said, uh, let's try to track uh, yeah. unknown or unusual phenomena. 
And Tom went along with it, and so we've been together ever since. <laughs> I, I guess what I was getting at, uh, Peter, was why what um, led you to believe that uh, a psychic would come in handy in tracking Bigfoot? What was, what was the connection yeah. there? Well, that's the $64 question. Keep in mind, I had been involved in these things for a long time up to that point. And it's all very elusive. Sasquatches are very elusive. And I had already bruised my shins on, you know, rocks and reels in every major mountain range in the western U.S. by that time. And I knew there was something in the equation that was missing. You know, the, the hunters were after Bigfoot, the the uh, aficionados and other enthusiasts, and they were trying every technique known to man. I knew one guy that was carrying a big packet of tranquilizers. <laughs> I mean, I, and, you know, they'd follow the foot tracks, and they'd go to the sighting locations, and virtually every time, oh, these wonderful creatures would leave them in the lurch. So I got fed up with it, and I said, listen, let's try using... Let's try using uh, psychics to see if we can't do what we've done with ordinary things. Now, Tom and I, over the years, we've found missing persons, uh, not always in happy circumstances. we found missing animals. Uh, we knew we could do it. Okay, so let's assume for a moment that Bigfoot was missing. <laughs> okay. And so we got together and started working on techniques that would be exclusive to locating these uh, these creatures. Uh, but also, there's another connection here, uh, Peter and Tom, and that is a number of individuals uh, that have had up-close encounters with uh, with Sasquatch ascribe a certain psychic ability to these creatures. Explain. Right. Oh, no question about it. I mean, you know, but, but again, uh, this is a matter of experience. You, you need to go into the field, and you need uh, to be in those circumstances and you need to have that sort of hands-on kind of thing before you realize some of this. But Tom and I were aware of it a long time ago, as Tom will attest, I'm sure, that these creatures are able to literally outmaneuver just about any tracker under any circumstances. I mean, up to this day, keep in mind, no bone, no billet, no burial plot, nothing. But they're there. We, we know that, and we, I'm sure Tom will agree with me. We both know they're real. <laughs> but what they are, we're still not quite uh, sure of. Tom, when you've been uh, out tracking Bigfoot with Peter, and uh, you've, you've felt their presence, I mean, do you, as someone with a psychic ability, what are you sensing? Are you getting telepathic messages? Uh, what do you sense when these creatures are around? Well, you know... Where I attribute it to, like uh, I practiced and taught karate and martial arts for 45 years, and you you get a sense of uh, your opponent. You know, you look in your opponent's eyes, and you sense their subconscious mind, and uh, you know the eyes of the lamps of the soul. And then, you know, if you take it farther, for as being ambushed uh, by ninjas or something, uh, the samurai and uh, warriors and martial arts, you know, you get a sense if there's somebody around that corner. You get a, a feeling of presence just with a human being. Or, uh, you know, I used to teach a, a number of uh, women's self-defense classes. You always want to assume that there's an opponent there or an attacker or robber around this corner when you open this door and get a sense and use your intuition. So um, it's very similar to that, to network that over at a bigger mm -hmm. level. I mean, uh, there's been so many people, 
that have been not just out in the woods, but they felt like there was somebody was watching them, and the hair in the back of their neck would stand up. They just get this this tingly type feeling, and there's some something watching. It could have been a bear, it could have been a deer, a wolf, or a mountain lion, or whatever. But uh, it's, this has been happening a majority of time with creatures after there's been a sighting. They got a sense of something was watching them first, and then they got a glimpse of it at some point. So with myself, you feel that presence. It's just like a, a energy or a sense or feeling, a presence that there's something there. And then, of course, you can feel whether it's negative, positive, aggressive, or passive, you know, that that uh, kind of articulates a little bit more if you can break it down. And how do you break it down, Tom? When, you, when you've when you been in close proximity, and we'll discuss some of yours and, and Peter's encounters uh, as the hour progresses, but when you're in close proximity, what kind of vibe are you getting from these creatures? Well, you know, I wouldn't say it's not negative at all, but the most important thing is so darn powerful, the presence. If you could imagine maybe 100 foot away, there's an elephant there, and the aura energy field, the magnetic field of the elephant, I mean, this thing it would be like oh, 10 times more than that, just like a, a not just a, a physically awesome creature, but their magnetic field and aura and presence is so powerful and almost takes command of the whole area, just being there and not aggressive at all, you know, because they're very passive and very curious, and they just kind of come in and out and, and, and take off very quick. Uh, uh, yeah, Peter, let, me, let me interject yes, here yes. just a minute. He is not understating this. I mean, it's so obvious to us and to the people that I've worked with exclusively over the years that it's, it defies comment. I mean, the presence is there. You can sense it. Tom and I were probably within 20 feet of one in Washington in the early 80s, and Tom will agree with me that creature just literally, I mean, pressed on the ground. I mean, you could feel it. It was there. <clears throat> I stood about 20 feet from it. Tom was on, on guarding my flank, if you will. And I was taken aback. I, I You know, I was bristling with equipment. <laughs> I had my tape recorder, my camera, everything else, my flashlight. I was ready to go. I was going to plunge into the unknown, and I just stood there like a moron while this creature literally took the whole spot over, and then it shot away from me almost in a cartoonish kind of way. It was so fast, it was hard to, to, to grasp what had happened. Then it went right past Tom with the same speed, but, but he was in the woods, and it literally crackled and chomped through the woods, sounding clumsy in a way, but it was not. It moved so fast that I don't know that you, any, any, means, any method of preparation would have worked at that time. What is an enigmatologist? Yeah, well, I've been trying to figure that out for years. I mean, it, it's really just someone who is an aficionado, an enthusiast, um, who goes after the unexplained. And I've been doing it for many years. I'm basically a journalist, so I want to add it as a, an investigator, if you will. And it includes all aspects of the unknown. Uh, flying saucers, UFOs, ghosties and ghoulies other things that go bump in the night and that sort of thing. I've become well-known as a Bigfooter because I wrote a book about it and because I was deeply interested in it from almost the beginning, and I've spent a lot of time doing it, but I've also spent a lot of time looking at other things as well. Tom Muzilla is, as I say, a veteran film and television actor. If you've seen Steven Seagal's action pictures, you've probably spied Tom in those movies. 
And, uh, as I say, former Vietnam War veteran, martial artist, bodyguard to the stars. Now, uh, let's talk about one of your encounters. Peter, you, uh, you mentioned that at one point you were about 20 feet away. Tell us, uh, that, was this in Washington State? Oh, Give yeah, us- that was, uh, that was a, um, a, a very interesting situation. Well, Tom and I did a lot of exploring and, um, we were all over the country at one time and in Washington State, uh, at a place called Snohomish, we, uh, spent, I don't know, what was it, Tom? I think about four weeks, yeah, something okay. akin to that in the, in the 80s, uh, looking into the, uh, sightings and other reports in that area. And there was what was called the Snohomish Screamer. And I was fascinated by that because I had collected, um, audio evidence of these creatures, uh, for a long time prior to that. And someone contacted me, a journalist up, up there contacted me and said, you know, we got something running around out here that's screaming and terrifying the locals and frightening livestock and all of that. So I was up there at a flash, you know. And so Tom and I were there and we heard the screamer. Oh, there's been a lot of flack about it over the years because I've shared my data with media and so on. And some researchers have uh, given opinions that it was a screech owl or coyote and all that. That's just abject nonsense. You know? And this creature would scream. It would sound almost like a woman screaming, if you will. Uh, no gender offense intended. Extremely. And we went up there, and we heard it, and we went after it, often in the pitch of night. <clears throat> Tom even managed to get arrested. <laughs> I love this guy. He he will go where no man you know, will go about anything. <laughs> well, if you're going to go stomping and, around in the woods, having a former Green Beret is a good guy to have with you. Oh, absolutely. And Tom is everything he purports to be. I can uh, attest to that, believe me. And he was a good man to have with me, and I knew it. He was a mountaineer, he was a paratrooper, and feared nothing. And that's what I wanted with me, um, because there is nothing to fear, really. But, you know, you're in the dark, you're in the woods, you're in faraway places, very remote, and you have to have a certain, you have to have a certain uh, courage to do that. I'll say, yeah. And, you know, there he was, and there we were, and this creature came... Uh, trudging down uh, one of the trails, and it was close to us. I was in an alcove, hunkered down, waiting, and this baby was coming along, screaming its lungs out, Mm -hmm. very close. Did you get a good visual? I was on my flank. Did you get a good visual? to my left, where where we had pre-planned for him to be, and this creature was getting closer and closer and closer. I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. I didn't want to use any lights or make any noise. So I waited. It got closer and then stopped. Well, at that point, my wits left me, and I dashed into the trail, went around a turn, and all I can tell you, I was blithered. I mean, I I had... No idea, because there was a black shape in front of me. Keep in mind, it's pitch black. I was bristling with stuff. I had all my equipment with me. But I didn't, I didn't count on, on being that close to something that, with that kind of essence. I mean, Tom is absolutely right. It generates 
a kind of force field, if you will. So you, no what are you? You're paralyzed. To... You're paralyzed, not with fear, but you're just what? Yeah, I mean, well, it wasn't fear. It was a bizarre kind of stunned paralysis. It might have been partly my doing because I had no one. I had no idea it was that close. And all I can tell you is the feeling was that I was standing next to a mountain. <laughs> I mean, suddenly it was free flowing. There, you know, the whole the whole area was was airy and open and free flowing, and suddenly there was this block. That's the only way I can describe it. Yeah. I looked forward. I could see a black shadow. It was humanoid in shape, very big, over nine feet, and it was sort of like. Oh, Mr. Ed, <laughs> I, and I had to stop, and I just stopped. And the minute I did that, within seconds, it it kind of leapt or jerked in a way to its right and to my left, and off it went into the woods. And I was I was still trying to feel my my legs, <laughs> and it went right past Tom when he was in the location he was to be, and it went past him and went off into the Did you get a visual? Thicket. Did you get a visual, Tom? Yeah, well, uh, I got a visual of this dark, you know, massive movement just moving like light speed past me. It was just the, the, the speed is just incredible, <laughs> yeah. like Peter's describing. And the, the stealth, you know, wasn't like loud like an elephant crashing through the brush. It was just so stealthy and light on its feet. Just, uh, and it moved so fast, this mass in that presence, yeah. Uh, you, Peter uh, and Tom, you both described to me uh, a, a creature that's known to inhabit uh, the environs around, I believe it's Edwards Air Force Base, and they measured. Right. you measured the stride of this creature. Tell me about that creature. Yeah. Well, Tom and I were all over the place, and, you know, I... I went after every report, even every every hint of a report that came across my desk in those days. And uh, a group of Marines were coming out uh, on a truck. They were coming out of the base. And the, the one we eventually called Big Ben, creature, hair-covered, two legs, two arms, two he- a head and a body. I almost said two heads. <laughs> that would have added some interesting elements to this. Anyway, this creature ran across the highway in front of the truck. The Marines swerved to miss it and rolled the truck. Well, that was among one among uh, one of, of several reports from that area. And so we went out there, and the stride you could find the footprints were fairly plain to see. And at a run, the stride of this creature was twenty three feet. And the ground, well, was you know, pretty, simple pretty arithmetic. Hard. Is all that's required to determine the rate of travel of this giant, and it was mind-boggling. So, twenty-three so feet. Let's do the math. When it was there, it was gone, and probably within a matter of minutes, it was a long way away. So, if it's which traveling, I think is part of the problem with trying to track these creatures, right, is that they move very quickly, and while a certain area might still be recovering from the the experience, it's gone. Long gone. Twenty-three feet. If, if the stride yeah. is twenty-three feet, do we? Let's do the math. What, what speed are we talking about? Fifty mm-hmm. miles an hour? Did we, no, we estimated what about fifty <laughs> miles an hour, something like that. Well, let's just put it this way. Now, keep in mind, Big Ben was that site. That particular sighting was in the late nineteen sixties. Mm-hmm. Now there have been a lot of sightings in that area since, 
but these are relatively unknown to the public. But I found that uh, the experience happened more often than not. Even that there was a special task force, don't quote me, mm-hmm. just let me blast it over the entire universe here, but there was a task force uh, set up by the Air Force to find out what the heck was running around the base, right? And I talked to some of these guys. It wasn't easy. And keep in mind, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool citizen. I, I, I don't really want to mess around with the military, and I don't want to cause any flaps and whatever, which is one of the reasons I published everything I, I do. <laughs> but anyway, these, uh, uh, they, were, they were trying to find out what was going on there. And I talked to several of the personnel, and they were hush-hush, you know. It, they were not supposed to talk about this. And I got a call, as a matter of fact, from a military personnel, in 1974, I believe it was, who said, they can't talk to you anymore. I said, oh, really? (laughs) Why not? And the basic message was, uh, these guys are going to lose their their pensions, kind of thing, among other things, if they keep talking to you about this. So I said, okay, I'm not trying to cause any problems. I would never do that. I understand. End of issue. Well, well, Tom, you have a... um Obviously, an understanding of the uh, the military mindset. Yes, it's a very conservative organization, but I don't understand. Uh, let's say, for example, that this is th- that Sasquatch is another example of the lowland gorilla. That, that this is simply a, a, a creature that we haven't uh, cataloged or documented yet. What's the harm in in uh, unless it's something even more extraordinary than that? What's the harm in the military allowing its people to say, "Hey, I saw a Bigfoot." We'll see that you know, their mentality and understanding is when they see something, it's either known or not known. You know, that's why it was part right, of right. UFO, unidentified flying object. So right, exactly. if they can't label it positively, authentically, oh, it's something and it's, it's a problem of credibility. <clears throat> you know, they don't want to come off looking like a bunch of kooks <clears throat> or talking about creatures or flying saucers or anything else. I could tell you a lot of stories about that. It's going to be in my next book, as a matter of fact. But they're just, it's credibility. It's um, like everything else. I mean, I've talked to a lot of highly educated scientists, for example, who've had sightings and who've had experiences, and they don't want to talk about it. You know, they're things like tenure, tenure and respect of one's peers. And they can't prove it. Uh, This is one of the topics of my book, Basically, we can't prove it. Um, we can suggest it, we can report it, but we can't prove it. And so there, therein lies the so-called rub, you know, about all this. So people, I have set out to try to prove as much as I can, but it's difficult. And they were caught up in this, in the middle of it. And I think they were just afraid of the impression they were going to leave on the public the flack they were going to get up, get out of upper echelons. I looked into a report where uh, a group of uh, air patrolmen encountered one, and at base all they heard was the, was the gunfire. Well, when they got to the location to investigate what had happened, the patrol car, uh, truck, was turned over. All the rifles had been broken in two. None of the personnel were injured, as far as I remember. I'm pretty sure not. But uh, 
they were found in a kind of state of uh, structured, uh, you know, inability to function. They just couldn't, you know, I tried interviewing a couple of them myself. And what it boiled down to was, nobody's going to believe us, but this is what had happened. And in the report, tracks were found all around the area that uh, comply with ordinary, if we can call it that, Bigfoot tracks. And nothing else was found. Now, what was interesting about that, I thought it was great. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I found, I, I, you know, I managed to dig up a report that was really exciting. But I couldn't, after that point, I couldn't get anybody to back up any of it. And the group that was involved in the actual encounter had been shipped off to parts unknown. Mm. Peter Gatilla is with us, you know, the author of The again, Bigfoot I Files. Think part of it is credibility. You know, a lot of scientists have a problem with this and so-called very educated academic types because <clears throat> what, what, what are you going to show anybody? It's all a matter of belief. And even though the reports are exciting in some instances and pretty hard to refute. Exactly, yeah. They're just reluctant to say anything. Let me remind uh, listeners uh, that Peter Gatilla, the author of The Bigfoot Files, is with us. Tom Mozilla, veteran film and television actor and uh, former Green Beret. Tom, l- let me ask you about uh, one of your close encounters uh, in the field with Peter. Uh, it seems to me when I uh, visited you in your home, you were telling me about uh, an incident. Uh, you were in your vehicle uh, oh, yeah. at the time. Yeah. Tell me about that. Okay. Well, uh, Peter and I, we had about three three vehicles at Bluff Creek there. And uh, not the original site where uh, the Patterson film was about three miles, three miles down at this uh, Laird Meadows, I believe it was. And, uh, you know, it's a little campground, just very isolated area, way back in the deep woods. And I was sleeping in my daughter uh, Land Cruiser, had a bed in back. And, um, oh, I don't know, I think it was like three in the morning, two, three in the morning, I started having a dream. And, of course, Peter, I think, was uh, next to us in another vehicle. We had a tent there. And it had probably four, five or six people with us. And in my dream, I saw this huge creature walking through our campground on the perimeter of it. Tom, let me just interject here because we've got the music percolating up. Let's take a time out. When we come back, we'll find out more about your encounter with Sasquatch. Stay with us. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, 
And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Have you ordered your bottle of Carbon 60 yet? The mighty Aphrodite and I have been taking a tablespoon of this miracle molecule suspended in olive oil for a few months now. We're taking the purest form of C60. It's called ESS60, and it's produced by our friends at C60Evo.com. C60 in oil is a powerful antioxidant that moves through the body like a magnet to attract and neutralize free radicals. It can slow down aging and reduce cellular damage. C60 can improve the immune system and reduce inflammation naturally. Often we hear about improved vision and substantially keener mental focus. The mighty Aphrodite and I are sleeping much better. We're both pain-free, no joint stiffness or back pain. And that's why I call Carbon 60 the miracle molecule. It's great for us humans and it's great for our pets. To order, go to c60evo.com. That's c60evo.com slash ref slash rs1. Again, to order your bottle of ESS60, go to c60evo.com slash refrs1. Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Welcome back. Peter Gatilla, The Bigfoot Files, and Tom Mozilla, a couple of veteran Bigfoot trackers. Now, Tom, you were uh, regaling us uh, your encounter. Your, so you're in your, uh, your SUV sort of on a stakeout out near Bluffs Creek, which is near the site of the original, of course, the famous Patterson film, which is sort of the Bigfoot equivalent of the Zapruder film. The, yeah. One of the most studied piece of film ever was purporting to be uh, having a, a female Sasquatch caught on on film. So you're you're stake you're on a stakeout overnight, you're having a dream that 
a Sasquatch is walking through your camp, and then what happens? Yes, uh, I'm sleeping in my Land Cruiser, and I have this dream with this creature in my dream walking through the camp. And then I even hear these footfalls in my dream. And it was so prominent and uh, present, it woke me up. I said, wow, you know, with this colors and vividness and almost like smells and everything, like it was real and sounds. And also when I woke up, I, I still heard these footfalls about, oh, I don't know, 40, 50 feet in front of my Jeep. And uh, I saw this huge black shadow presence walking stealthily right across the front of the Jeep. And I go, oh my God! I was, I was just dreaming that. <laughs> so I rolled down the window and opened the door slowly. I heard it kind of go through the brush, and uh, like I said, it was probably just forty, fifty feet. And there's some moonlight, a little bit of moonlight, so I could definitely catch all the the outline of the creature. I'd say at least nine foot tall. And then after it went through the brush, it, I could hear step a little bit in the creek. And then I heard these weird gibberish sounds coming, something like, and it, it was almost like three distinct voices. And I tried to sneak over the walk a little bit, stealthily, to listen closer. Three distinct voices, almost like communicating with each other. And I sensed the presence of a, a like a, a big male, a female, and a, a sibling, like three of them. And there were three distinct different kind of... Uh, frequency voices to that. So I listened to it for a little bit, and also, boop, took off, we're gone. And then also we smelled that strong uh, uh, sulfur smell right. that goes along with them, like rotten eggs. Right. Well, and then uh, Peter and everybody woke up, and they caught it, and the presence as, as well, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remember it well. I mean, you know, I practically fell out of the truck. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, you were, you were genuinely uh, impressed by it. I, re I recall the incident, but there were so many of them with us there in that location. But I might point out that that was also the place where the entire modern Bigfoot controversy began. Right. Uh, with a logger by name of Jerry Crew, who was the first to find footprints around his, uh, equipment. Because at that time, that campground wasn't a campground. It was, uh, an equipment yard for loggers and, uh, uh, people putting in roads in that part of the forest. And there was a history there all along. And most of us who were involved in those early days were convinced that something had happened there originally. Uh, we've been debating Patterson's film for a long time. But we did, uh, we did have several experiences right at the Patterson location. So there's little doubt in our minds that there was something there. Whether or not Patterson actually filmed it or not remains moot, but there was something there in the early days, and I don't know what when was the time. I think of the '80s was the last time we were there. The '90s, yeah, um, and you could still feel the essence of things there. That's a very interesting place. Yeah, I mean that seems to be ground zero, like a real hot spot. Now, Tom, did you not have the the Patterson film subjected to some sort of analysis with some very interesting findings? Yes, I mean as you know, so many have, and uh, Peter's seen it, and uh, I had this uh, good friend of mine, Bruce Bonney, and he was kind of a very scientific researcher, analyzing it, and uh, we found this. Uh, there was an institute down in Southern California, Orange County, called uh, Cota de Casa with this uh, top biomechanics kinesiology scientist, uh, Gideon Ariel.
Israeli scientists, and a lot of the Olympic athletes would go there when they had some flaw, and it was all computerized. They'd hook up uh, uh, all these different uh, wires on them. They'd transfer that over to a monitor, and these different sensors they'd run on, and they'd analyze it where he's... uh, losing some uh, momentum or energy or something, and they'd reprogram the athlete, and he'd go off and break a world record or whatever. So he was an expert at analyzing these films, and he ran it on this uh, really uh, high-definition type camera, slow-motion camera, uh, projector, excuse me. And it was interesting, stuff I had never seen before, too, because that was pretty soft sand, and the gait that the creature had was very much more like a human gait. And, but when it stepped in the sand, it would have such power, it propelled itself out very uh, plyometrically, explosively, where a, a human wouldn't have that kind of ratio power to step mm-hmm. that way. So, oh, I know it, we've been there many times. I mean, one thing that we noticed, too, was that the sand is a very talc-like in some of those places on that sandbar. And when we walked on it, we noticed, especially if we'd walked in the creek, that the sand would adhere to the bottoms of our feet. Let's just uh, cut to the, the quick here. What, what do you think this creature is? Well, that's the $64 question. You know, I mean, I've been at it a long time, longer than I care to admit. And my conclusion is that they're real, they exist, they're there, they're not uh, a threat in any way. Leave your guns at home <laughs> or take them out there if you're afraid of bears or something, but uh, never use one on a Sasquatch. But they're there. Uh, we just don't know what they are. Are we dealing with one type of creature, many types of uh, uh, <laughs> No, creatures? actually, we're dealing with a lot of them. I mean, they're all over the country, and they've been around a long time. The reports go back decades and longer. They leave behind evidence of their presence. They interact with the environment. They're uh, harmless. Uh, I have one in the mountains behind my house, and I've tracked, and I've tried to track. But remember, no one has ever successfully tracked a Sasquatch to completion. No bones, no billets, boneyards, or graves of any kind have been found. Tom, what do you think it is? Like Peter, I mean, we try to keep our minds open. I mean, the sightings kind of occur in three different categories. I mean, one is like a physical beast, the presence of. One is still kind of physical, but very uh, intuitive and uh, very psychic. And then there's this third type, which uh, Peter brought, was the first one to bring this up years ago, closely associated to UFOs. And whether they have a, a similar-looking creature or they're using these creatures, it's, you know, we don't know. We're still trying to do that. But this third type has, like, three big toes and kind of like red glowing eyes on a certain occasions, too. But the interesting part is the, the psychic and intuitive part because they probably know, and like Peter's mentioning and hearing about weapons, it's interesting most of the time anybody carries weapons, there, there's no activity, nothing happens whatsoever. And it's almost like intuitively they pick up on that presence or that aggressiveness and just don't come around. So there's these two different legends that I mentioned before when we talked, you know, this old ancient Hopi Indian reservation, American Indian, and an old ancient Chinese legend. 
And these are myths, of course, but we don't know. What's similar on two different continents, they refer to these creatures that at one time were very abundant on a planet and maybe almost like defied God or got too powerful or something, and God reprimanded them and his folklore, and they're almost like uh, sentinels of the planet. Now, whether that's physically or like apparitions or entity, I, I don't know. We, you know, Peter and I were still trying to. Yeah, we've been that around out. in circles with this for a long time. You know, I'll tell you a little interesting story, and it's about the uh, um, the Shivapuri Baba. This was a a mendicant and hermit that occupied this Shivapuri forest in India. I happen to know a couple of representatives uh, representatives of the United Nations who were gathered there for a, uh, a kind of convention. And it just so happened that this little mendicant monk would stagger out of the woods and say something profound and then stagger back into the woods, right? And so they were all gathered, and there were some diplomats and others present. And the little guy shows up, perches himself on a small boulder, and begins to talk about the universe. That part I would have I would have liked a lot. But anyway, what happened was, is right above his head on a ledge appears a Sasquatch, or a Bigfoot, whatever you choose to call it. And he looked around, he said, not to worry, not to worry. These are the protectors of the forest. And I thought that was extremely interesting. I'm not at liberty to mention names. If anyone wants to talk to me about these things privately, send me an email. But it so happened that it was really stunning to all these people. And yet it was there. It turned casually and walked off. And this guru, yogi, smiled. And, not to worry. <laughs> now, we've heard this before from Native Americans. We've heard it from natives in Canada and natives in Mexico that they these creatures are the protectors, the guardians, if you will, of the wilderness. And none of them like the idea of us white eyes trying to capture them. Well, uh, Tom and, and Peter, both of you, I believe, have interviewed, um, uh, uh, I, be- I believe it was a Native American medicine woman, and uh, did she not describe... That, that uh, you know, her forefathers used to trade with yes, Sasquatch? Yes, uh, she was like the, uh, when I lived in Northern California by Lake Shasta, in Mount Shasta, she was considered the last of the Wintu uh, Indians, but she was also a shaman. And uh, she used to say, you know, when by the campfire when she was a young girl, the uh, elders would all talk about Sasquatch like it was just another tribe, oh, the big hairy tribe, and they just took it for granted, and they'd get along like any other tribe. And they had certain trading, they'd trade tobacco, they'd trade certain things and food with the creatures, and, you know, the creatures would leave them alone, and they'd almost kind of uh, protect them in a way. And uh, she even mentioned, I don't know how true this is, but she mentioned that she thought, a couple of uh, geologists or something, or anthropologists came to camp once, and they brought a, a bone, a huge bone. Well, whether it was a Sasquatch or some giant or whatever, uh, it was like a thigh bone, and there was a skull, I think, too, and asked them, uh, Do you, have you seen anything like this before? So, And, of course, they said no, and they talked about the Sasquatch, though. But, uh, you know, 
I don't know whatever happened to them or who they were or anything. She just mentioned it casually because it's probably early 1900s. Yeah. Now, you know, these stories are incredible, obviously, uh, but it gets even more incredible. You almost almost want to not bring it up because it, it... for some, you might lose the room. However, we do have reports of Sasquatch in close proximity to UFOs. What are we to make of that? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm your Huckleberry. I'm the guy who started most of that, and it started with a series of articles I wrote for Saga Magazine in the early 70s. And I was, at the time, I was an associate of Stanton Friedman. Danton T. Friedman, the uh, physicist and ufologist, good friend of mine, going way back. And we, at the time, had founded the UFO Research Institute, which was then in Lawndale, California. And Friedman was a scientist, and he had worked on all sorts of interesting projects, both for the government and not. And we started collecting uh, reports from very reliable sources from all over the country. A lot of them were scientists uh, themselves. He was, in fact, a good friend of J. Allen Hynek, who was the, you know, the granddaddy of the UFO subject in the United States. And uh, so we, I, I was there with him. I edited the newsletter and uh, talked to witnesses who would call the Institute and that sort of thing. And we started collecting a huge number of clippings, news clippings, and other reports from around the country. Well, I noticed something odd. I noticed that wherever there were low-level UFO reports, people started talking about seeing a giant, hair-covered, human-like being in the vicinity. And in many cases, footprints were found that looked very much like the standard Bigfoot footprints found in the usual Bigfoot locations, right? So I turned to Friedman and I said, you know, this is strange. It seems there, there might be a connection between these two phenomena. Stan looks at me and he says, don't bother me with another mystery. I got my hands full with one. Actually, that's a pretty good impression of uh, Stanton. That's exactly the way he sounds. So I just took took it upon myself to continue uh, gathering up this information. I wrote a few articles about it. I did a few lectures about it. I talked to ordinary folk and professionals alike about it. And, of course, there was no, you know, it's it's one thing to prove the existence of one strange thing and try to b- bring them together and prove both is uh, double jeopardy, you know. But I never lost my interest in that, and it's true. Uh, they do seem to have some sort of proximal relationship. Now, what that is, again, is anybody's guess, and I defy any researcher or any expert to prove otherwise. We just don't know. But, you know, the field is open, be open-minded, as Tom suggests, and broaden your horizons. There, there are all sorts of possibilities with these things. Did now, Peter? This is a tough question, but did, does part of you, when you when you're looking at that connection, say, you know what? I'm just going to keep this one under my hat because I'm going to lose the room. I mean, it's hard enough to convince the majority of people that Sasquatch is out there, <laughs> given the yeah, anecdotal right. evidence, and then and then you add this other layer, and and people are saying all of a sudden, okay, now you've lost me. You know, exactly. I hear, I've heard that all the time. And, you know, I'll tell you something, Richard. Frankly, I don't care. I've been at it a long time, more years than I care to admit. And I, you know, and believe me or not, care or not, I couldn't care less. I'm not, I'm not uh, competing with these people. 
I've Some... got proof of what I'm talking about. I just wrote a book about one of your fellow Canadians, Dorothy Wilkinson Isaac. Now, she's got more accumulated photographic evidence to prove the presence of than any other person in of record in the annals of the paranormal. Hmm. So, uh, someday, if you'd like to talk about that, I'd be happy to. I wrote a book about it called Beings of Light. Uh, the amazing true story of Dorothy Wilkinson Isat. We'll definitely do a show. Uh, she's got more accumulated. She's got 35,000 feet of, of film, live action movie film, and you can't deny it. But I have people laughing in my face. I have people that I've shown my huge collection of evidence for Dorothy Isat. They look, they smile, and they disappear. They're not moved, they're not interested. Blah, 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 blah. Same thing happens with Bigfoot. They don't care. They're not interested. It's not relevant. What the deuce does it matter to me? You know? Tom, uh, when are you and Peter getting uh, ready to uh, hit the road again in, in, and uh, on another expedition in search of Bigfoot? Uh, you know, we're working on that now, just trying to uh, collaborate schedules and everything. But uh, you don't want to bring up something else, Richard, would, to take it beyond what Peter's saying in a way. What's real interesting Earth has certain electromagnetic lines, like ley lines, telluric lines, right? And, uh, you know, as you know, a lot of the churches were built on these lines in England, and it enhances electromagnetic field for meditation, for a sacred atmosphere, and even with the pyramids and all, oh, Petra, if you go all around these different cultures, you know, there's been studies of this, they've been built on these lines. And now... A lot yeah, of times where these telluric lead line, magnetic lines mm -hmm. intercross, it almost like warps time and space a little bit. And what's interesting, mm -hmm. a lot of the UFO <laughs> and big... <laughs> you know, Tom, let me interrupt you for a second. No, I, 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 gotta, I, I apologize, but I gotta, I got to interrupt you both because I'm oh, out okay. of time. <laughs> I'm out of time, gentlemen. But listen, it just means we got to get together and do another show. Okay. okay. Tom Mozilla, Peter Gatilla, thank you so much. Peter's okay, book is The you. Bigfoot Files. Our pleasure for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank Good talking you. to you both. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a few minutes to share a few details on an upcoming episode. Hey there, I'm hard at work on another edition of Inner Sanctum, my free monthly newsletter. Inner Sanctum features my monthly brief, a column of my thoughts and opinions on what's happening in the world. It features a spotlight on a past guest, a look ahead to an upcoming episode of my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show. It features a look at this month in conspiracy and UFO history and my Conspiracy Unlimited podcast episode pick of the month and so much more. To get your free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, delivered to your email inbox, just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on Inner Sanctum and register. It's fast, easy, and again, absolutely free. Coming up next time, Canada's former defense minister, the Honorable Paul Hellyer, recalls the occasion of his public statement on UFOs. It was really a matter of conscience, uh, Richard, because after reading The Day After Roswell, 
and realizing that it was the truth, and then confirming this with the retired United States Air Force general, who when I called him, he said, every word is true and more. And so with that confirmation, and telling me that there had been face-to-face -face meetings between the United States officials and sentient beings from other star systems. I was confirmed in my conviction that I should go public because I was afraid that at some stage the United States might get us into a galactic war, knowing their sort of propensity to shoot first and ask questions after. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. New Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.